in, everybody, to another edition of Is My Nose Stuffed Up? Why Do I Sound Like This? Also, doing business as Sad Times. I'm your host, Kevin. So glad you're here. Uh, If you have never been here before, welcome. Here is a quick primer. Sad Times is a show in which each week we have a kind and generous guest who comes on and talks about his or her struggles uh, through traumas, difficult times, maybe some mental illness that they've dealt with, uh, any number of things. The goal here is to allow those stories to be told so that all of us in the good old human race, and even Brent, are able to listen to these stories and maybe hear something that they thought, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one who dealt with that. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. We're not here to diagnose, judge, or solve uh, any of the problems that these stories present. It's just to allow that story to be told. So that's sad times. Thank you again for being here. In all honesty, if you know somebody who might find some solace in this show, please recommend it to them. That's the whole goal of the show is to have these stories told so that people can feel less alone. We do have a beautiful website and I like to do the www part because it makes uh, Brent squirms in his chair because Brent's like, it's not 1995. Uh, uh There you can find all of our episodes, some other stuff. If you'd like to be a guest, you can reach out there as well. And of course, you can find Sad Times wherever they magically appear on your handheld device or computer or, or you know, flying saucer or whatever. So that's Sad Times. <clears throat> Before we get to our great guests this week, we're going to go to our sponsor. Uh, today's sponsor is news notifications about where to start your day. What makes waking up even better? Being told by a news organization that not only is the world exploding, but also here's a picture of an alligator on a golf course and that you had damn well better start your day here or else or what else? Clicks will go down. That's news notifications about where to start your day. Supposed answers to all the questions packaged in five easy bite-sized chunks. You know, I've turned almost all those off except for one. I, so basically what I'm saying is, uh, the, the, sorry, sponsor. I mean, you can't turn them off. Uh, anyway, if you would like to support our sponsors, as always, please do. We need that. Keeps the lights on. Uh, just use the code F-A-K-E at checkout. That's F-A-K-E. All right, now that we've paid the bills, let's get to the real reason we're here, and I'd like to welcome in David on the show. Hey, Dave, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Dude, thank you so much for being here. So um, now, we, you and I don't know each other uh, other than when we, we spoke before, so tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and kind of just a little background on you. Okay. I'm from Oakland, California. I live in Berkeley, California now. Um, I grew up in um a multicultural uh household my father's from iran my mother's from here in the states Hmm. um i went to school in the bay area jumped around oakland san francisco um got kicked out of one school along the way found my way back um and ended up going to dartmouth for college after i got my got my shit together and um, ivy league yeah, yeah, it was it was a bumpy road to to get there. I um, I'm hard of hearing actually. I saw when I grew up, I um, I had a hearing aid when I was really young, and um, every morning when I got dropped off at school, because the kids, man, these these fucking kids were world class name callers. So they came up with the name Deffy Duck, and so oh every God. morning, I know, right? That's so every morning. When my mom dropped me off um, 
at school, as soon as she had pulled off in the minivan down the hill, I put the hearing aid in my pocket. So I never really got, n- never got much out of it and really struggled in school. Couldn't, couldn't really hear and kind of act it out. And it wasn't and until high school. all because of these jerks were, were saying that to you. So this is a way, <laughs> and then of course that's impacting your learning because you can't hear yeah. maybe what the teacher's saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I mentioned that because, um, you know, it'll come up later, not, not the hearing part or, or the Duffy duck Looney Tunes reference, but the, uh, you know, the, the fact that it like the fact that I felt this sort of stigma around it and kind of reacted to it. Um, cause I think that's, that's an important theme, um, as we get into topics that we'll, we'll get into later. But, um, so yeah, I went to Dartmouth and, um, then, I think when I was at school is um, that's kind of where I first started encountering, um, you know, symptoms of, of mental illness. And I didn't really know what they were at the time. didn't really understand what was going on. Um, and that that began a very long, uh, bumpy road over the next decade plus um, that I kind of, you know, I saw my life go from. Um, kind of on a, a clear and bright track to um, winding up suffering from bipolar disorder, um, getting uh, getting to be suicidal at a certain point, um, not really being able to uh, be vulnerable enough ab- about having a mental illness to like get treatment for it, um, self-medicating to cope for, you know, about, the better part of a decade or so or more. So, um, sorry, go ahead. And that's, yeah. And that, that brought me to, um, a pivotal point in my life when, um, in my early thirties, when I, um, decided to be vulnerable about what was going on and, um, choose sobriety and choose self-care and treatment. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of the new life I'm living now. Um, awesome. And yeah, and, and the, I like that you said choose self-care and treatment because that reminds me of when we we talked before, I, I think, and we'll get to it, you have some really, I, I don't know, profound thoughts on that idea. I think it's something that everybody's like, oh, self-care this, self-care that. Um, the yeah. thoughts that you had on it really uh, rang true to me. So I, I look forward to talking about that. I, I wanted to ask you, when, when you're in your early 20s or thereabouts, mm-hmm. when you said that the, it started presenting itself, uh, uh, what, what, what do you mean by that? What were some of the symptoms that you were dealing with? Yeah, it was, you know, you, when you just, everybody's had a bad mood and I think everybody can relate to, you know, that just sort of basic waking up on the wrong side of bed feeling mm-hmm. and, but at a certain point, around the time I was probably twenty, that started to take on a whole new, a whole new shape and dimension. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh man, like I don't feel like, like getting out of bed today. It was more like the bed had a force of gravity, and I literally felt trapped in it. it and it's, it's hard to explain that to someone who like doesn't really know what a mood disorder is or know mm-hmm. what depression is firsthand, because it kind of just sounds like. Well, get your ass out of bed, dude. No big deal. But if you are really trapped in a depressive episode, it's just, it's not that simple. And tasks like brushing your teeth seem like 
they can seem weighty and um, That's arduous. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, does it feel like a weight? And you said like the bed had its yeah. own gravity pull. You know what might have helped was um, news notifications to start your day. That's what I was missing. But, you yeah. know, this was, this, was, this was back in like the early 2000s. Man. Oh. We didn't have all that. Stone Age. I know. Bad times. I was, I had a, That's a it. You're like, I don't know where to start my day. I'm, de- you know, I guess I've got a mood disorder. Yeah. Thank yeah. God for news notifications. Uh, right. All joking right. aside, all joking aside. Um, <laughs> when you have that, that's got to be uh, pretty alarming when you start feeling something that strongly. And was it every morning? Did it kind of come and go? No, not at all. Um, I would have a few days where I'd feel like that. And it was hard to get anywhere. It was hard to, it was hard to talk to people, honestly. Like having a one-on-one conversation might feel like, it might feel like I was talking to a crowd. Like that's how much, that's how difficult it was. But, um, you know, on like the flip of a switch, I could be a totally different person. And I, so I spent a few days like that. And then I'd spend a few days, um, just feeling elated and feeling like mm. an immense connection to everyone around me and, and, um, total sense of joy in whatever I was doing. I wanted to stay up late, wanted to talk to everyone. Um, <laughs> I'd just be a different person. And I had, I had no idea like what that was. I, I had a sense that I was, that it was different. I kind of knew that like, okay, this probably isn't like a universal experience that everyone is sharing, like something different's going on with me, but I wasn't in a position to understand it. I definitely wasn't in a position to talk about it. Um, And that's when I really started to realize like how much, um, better drinking made me feel like Mm -hmm. I learned to drink when I was pretty young. Um, I learned to drink in middle school. Like that was when, and you know, everybody, I'll say everybody, that's probably not true, but a lot of kids, that's when they start experimenting with the stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. they start experimenting at some point. Um, But for me, it was, I remember when alcohol touched my lips, like it was, it felt like the thing that had been missing from my body my whole life. It, it, I had such a, such a strong reaction to it. It made me feel so good. And I learned like pretty early, um, man, like this makes me feel better. And if I'm sad, this helps a lot. And if I'm feeling like high as a kite, drinking just makes it more fun. And I, and I could just drink nonstop. Um, so Did in you- college... Sorry. So yeah, in college, you know, probably had some binge drinking, I would imagine. Um, Yeah. Would you have the repercussions, excuse me, would you notice the repercussions from the drinking would exacerbate your symptoms or did that not matter because you could just drink again? Um, No, I think the answer to both those questions is is yes. Like I did notice, um, I did notice that it, that it, everything had like an equal and opposite reaction. Right. So like if I'm really, really sad, I, I know the drinking will make me feel better. And I'm aware that the next day is going to be, you know, going to be a problem, yeah. but it's it, the, the allure of, of self-medicating right now is generally enough to kind of kick off the concern about how I'm going to feel tomorrow. Um, and then there's also the assurance that like, yeah, for the most part, I'm gonna be able to drink tomorrow too. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the school I went, I mean, I think, I don't know, I don't want to speak for, for every school and every student's experience, but like college is a pretty easy place to, 
get comfortable drinking and have access to alcohol. And I think my school in particular, because we were in the middle of fucking nowhere and it was just a small little incubated um, campus and, and getting alcohol was pretty normal. It was pretty easy. So I fell into, um, I didn't even fall into it. I embraced it. Like I knew that it made me feel better when I was depressed. And so I, I leaned in pretty hard to it when I needed to. Um, and then like, then the symptoms started getting worse. And I think something like, I think it's like 75% of most mental illnesses like manifest in the early twenties, um, depression, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, they all start, they all start showing up around that, mm-hmm. around that age. And so that's when they really started to, um, yeah, I mean, that's really when they started to get bad. And it, all of a sudden those, remember those two days or three days I was talking yeah. about where it was hard to talk to people. And I just felt like alone in the universe. It started to be a few weeks, a few weeks in a row. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yeah. And would you just I, stay, I would, feel, would you be able to go to class? Well, I, so this is after I graduated. So now oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm an, I'm an adult. And like the summer after I graduated, um, I, I push myself through the day. Um, I mean, I'm sure I missed some work here and there, but like I took the approach of, so I was on, I was like a, a, a random connection, but like I was on the crew team in college and I learned from that experience, like how to work through just discomfort. Yeah. Like it's just something I learned to do. And it's probably something I learned from, from my dad, like, I just had a pain tolerance and an ability to kind of work through things. So, I mean, I, I could wake up and I could fake it. I could push myself through it. I could, I could, I could be crying in the morning and find my, find a way to wipe the tears and like get in the front door to work, you know? And I, and I pushed through a lot of situations where I probably shouldn't have pushed through it. I probably should have gotten help, Yeah. but I just said, okay, I'm going to bury this today. Um, and then on the other side of it, I, a week or, or 10 days or whatever later, I wasn't depressed at all. All of a sudden I felt like on top of the world and I was partying again. I was, I was staying up late. Um, I would just max out every credit card I had. Um, fortunately, like my credit card limits weren't very high. Thank yeah. God. Cause I would just spend through every dollar I could get access to. Um, Did you realize you were doing, I mean, that's kind of a dumb question, but like, are you aware, okay, I only have, I don't know, a hundred dollars more left to spend, or you're just like using it until it doesn't work. No, you just use it until it doesn't work. Okay. I mean, like a complete, just a p- complete disconnect from reality there. Like I ran up tens of thousands of credit card of, of dollars of credit card debt. Like when I hardly even had an income, you know, and this was back, this is 20 years ago. So that, $30,000 was, was more than, yeah. and that should have been a terrifying number to me, but like, you just don't give a shit. Um, it's uh it's like, a, it's a real disconnect. Um, so these, so these, so this is kind of how I was rolling. And then the job I ended up taking, um, I really, I always liked working with kids and I, and I always wanted to be a, um, a helpful person. And I was always, I did community service through high school and college. And so my first job ended up being, with at-risk kids at a residential treatment facility. So I lived and worked at um, a place with about 30 um, kids that had been incarcerated or 
um, were foster kids taken from their homes and other like at-risk scenarios. Um, so the job was crazy. And the, the demand that it had on me, um, like when I, when I got manic and when I, when my mood was revved up, it almost put me in a spot where like I could kind of hyper function. Like this job needed me to stay up all night anyways. Like I had to like chase kids at 10 PM or break up fights in the middle of the night. And it had, it honestly helped me do that because I had so much energy and I wasn't really sleeping anyways. So I could, I could perform like the job needed to. And everybody thought I was doing good. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm not really familiar. Um, I certainly don't have experience, personal experience with it. Um, so you, when you started, when the symptoms got worse, did you go to a doctor and you were diagnosed? Eventually. Eventually. So, so about, about when was that? So I was working for like probably a year and a half um, at this, about a year, year and a half at this um, treatment center. And um, I've lost a ton of weight. I, I look like shit, but I somehow can can run around and and um, and function with these kids. Um, and the I had been so here was like the the here's when I hit the wall. So I had been up for really like riding extremely high for a couple weeks, and I had and I and I didn't have a day off of work. Like they, some people were gone or quit or whatever. So I was stuck for about two weeks working by myself with a group of 10 kids, no co-counselor or whatever. And I just, wow. I just handled it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I finally got off work and I had this idea like, okay, I'm going to go tomorrow on my day off. I'm going to go, I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to do a 50 mile ride. And then after that, I'm going to park my bike and I'm going to run a half marathon, 13 miles or whatever. Jeez. And I had mapped out this course and like, like I was in shape, but that wasn't something I did. I, 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 I did not do that stuff. It was mm -hmm. just like kind of an idea. And I, I had so much energy that I, I believe like the only way I could get to sleep that night is if I did that and used like all the gas in the tank. And so I did it and I was flying and I felt like I couldn't, I could have run through a wall. And finally, like at the very end, I actually, I finally felt tired. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I kind of feel numb. I sort of feel like I'll be able to go to sleep tonight. I don't need to have a drink to go to sleep my mind finally quieted down and like the racing frantic fucking thoughts slowed down to a crawl. And I'm like, this is great. And I woke up, you know, eight hours later and just over the course of going to sleep, I woke up and immediately I knew that it was the worst day of my life. The, the, the change in my mood from going to bed to the next morning, it was so drastic, so sharp so jarring. Uh, I've never felt that bad in any episode I've had uh, where I thought about hurting myself and, and thought about all kinds of violent um, thoughts. This was by far the worst thing. And um, the thing about an episode like that, like you, you could have, you could have 10 of these episodes and each one, it feels like the last one it feels like it'll never end even though you you've had nine before that had a beginning a middle and an end when you're in the middle of them you truly believe that you're going to feel that way for the rest of your life and that's for both the high and the low that when you're high it doesn't really matter and you, and you don't really care okay. and you don't really feel a sense of consequences 
so it's not scary. Yeah, you you feel like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Um, this won't end either, but you don't want it to. When when you wake up and your mind is racing with anxious, violent, twisted thoughts that really have you believing you'd be better off dead, like you want that to end more than anything. Um, it's again, it kind of is like what I said before, but it's very hard to describe this pain. And the only like image I could really give someone is that it feels like tiny shards of glass, a thousand of them just lodged in your mind. Like it, it almost takes the shape of a physical discomfort when, when your mind is, is, uh, is turning on itself like this. So I was turning on myself and within like an hour, um, I, I believed that the only way I could feel better is if I cut myself open and let the pain leave with like a stream of blood. I, I believe that. And I conjured that up and it was, it made sense. And so I'm like, I found at some point, I'm like, I have to talk to someone if I'm alone, like I'm turning on myself. And I found, uh, I found my boss and like, he's like, Oh, Hey, Dave, how, you know, how was your day off? And before I could even get a word out, I'm, I'm choking up and I'm, tears are streaming down my face and I can't even talk. And he knew something was, this wasn't like, a, Oh, Dave needs a, you know, needs a little help right now. He knew something was off. So he, in a major way. So he went and got a, a the counselor that worked there that actually worked with the kids. Uh -huh. So there was an on-site like therapist and he went and got him to talk to me, but I couldn't sit still. And so I was, um, I had to get on the move and I just was obsessed with this idea of hurting myself. Um, believing that I would be better off dead, um, believing that in, in a real visceral way. And so I found a spot by myself and we always had a knife on us. Um, cause our job was mostly, it was like an outdoor oh, I setting. See. And so we just did the activities and we cut lashings to make tents and we just always had a knife. Um, that was normal. It was, it was, it was a utility knife. Um, and the, um, and I had it in my pocket and I clipped it open and, um, I held it up against my skin and I started to press down and I watched the skin kind of twist and contort. And the last thing I remember thinking this is a weird thought. This is the last thing I could, I could ever remember though, was that I remember thinking that skin is a lot more resilient than I thought it would be. It's not that fragile. It's kind of leathery and it's kind of stretchy and it's got some, it has resilience to it. And I had that thought. And then that, the, the counselor, whose name was Mike found me and he ran up from behind me and tackled me to the ground and took the knife out of my hand. And that was the last thing I remember. When, when you're talking about turning, turning on yourself and mm -hmm. this thought, was it just obsessively your brain? Was it as simple as your brain is saying, you need to hurt yourself. You need to cut yourself. That's the only way you get out of this. Is that kind of the, yeah. the way that your thoughts were? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was really simple. I, I firmly believe that the, the pain I was feeling in that moment would never end. And I concluded that this pain is more than I can bear if it's never going to end. Therefore, to kill myself is the only way out of this. And that thought wasn't, it was logical and connected. Yeah. Uh, and how, and, think about it too, Dave. I mean, that's 20 years ago, right? How do yeah. think for, for somebody maybe like myself who, who's not dealt with that type of mental illness, how do you go and explain that to somebody? It's one thing to go talk to a therapist about it or, or the counselor, but you know, your best yeah. friend, your, your family, 
And they're like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? And it's, mm-hmm. it's do you, did you feel shame around it too? Yeah. So here's so the well, I'm going to answer that question with like <laughs> the next bus stop in this story. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so I woke up and I was in a white room. I was in a psychiatric hospital and with, with the fucking tag on my wrist. And the first thing I remember thinking was what if people find out and how fucked up is that? Like I just had the worst day of my life could have been the last day of my life. Um, I'm in a psychiatric hospital and my first thought is, Oh no, what will people think? And so, yeah, like that, that's the answer to your question is I didn't want to talk about this at all. So I, I got diagnosed there, like within, they put me on so many drugs there that I was a zombie in that place for two weeks, like catatonic state. You were there for two weeks. Yeah. Wow. And once I, that was when they diagnosed me there and I talked to a bunch of counselors and doctors. And at one point, one of them just explained to me like what you've been experiencing this, this bipolar disorder. And it's, um, it's an alter- alternating state of mania and depression characterized by, you know, these symptoms during these mood swings and these by others. And I just wasn't hearing, I, I just was, I couldn't really let mental illness or condition like really register with me. Um, but I participated, like I took the pills, like it was sort of comforting to know that like, I'm like, okay, like it has a name. Like it, that means, cause Dude, I thought I was just losing my fucking mind. Like, and did I, you think you were the only person this was happening to? Yeah. 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 Like, this wasn't like, you know, I mean, I, I, I would be, when my mind was racing, I'd be sitting there talking to people, you know, and I, I ob- obsessing with the most violent images going through my head. Um, or if a car drove by, I just, I, I thought, oh man, like, what if I jump into in front of it? If I was near a cliff or a roof, I thought, oh man, like, what if I just fall to my death? I thought this shit all the time. And I didn't have any idea that like there was anyone else in the universe thinking that. So I just, my conclusion was I'm going to, I'm going insane, whatever that means. So when the guy told me, you know, you have bipolar disorder it was sort of comforting to know that like there was a name to it and that mm-hmm. someone else had it. And there was probably medicine and there was a chapter on it in the DSM. Like it made it sort of comforting in that way. Um, but also at the same time, like I couldn't, I couldn't disconnect it from like, Oh, this means I'm weak because I can't beat it. I can't get over this illness. This is, I'm not strong enough to deal with it. Either I'm either I've got it and I'm not strong enough to beat it or like I'm a weak person. And that's why I got it to begin with. Like that doesn't sound logical to me right now, as I'm saying it, I realize, or probably to you, but like, that's really what it is. You you don't, you you think it's weakness, especially like being, I don't know, being a young American guy and um, being around like the communities I had been in. It just, it wasn't in our lexicon. We didn't talk about mental illness then. And we yeah. don't that much now either. Right. It's gotten better. But so my approach was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to learn a little bit. 
I'm going to take, I'm going to leave this place with some instructions and some prescriptions and an operating manual of, of what I need to do to like keep myself somewhat safe. And then I'm never going to talk about it again. That was, so, that was the plan. And was there, so a couple things I wanted to say. One, you said, um, you know, it seemed logical to you. It might not sound logical to me. The, the sad thing is that is one of the great things about mental illness. I think people don't talk about is how certain mm -hmm. and logical it feels in your mind. No matter yeah. if you have people, friends, family, doctors telling you it's not this, it's the certitude in the mind that makes, yeah. at least in my oh, experience, yeah. so unbelievably troubling. And mm -hmm. okay. So I, I just want to acknowledge that because I, I totally hear what you're saying. And then when you yeah. left, you said you're not going to talk to anybody. So did they just say, here are some pills or did they say you should see a therapist as well? Oh, they said you should see a therapist. They said, here's your prescriptions. Take three of these, two of these, and one of those. Right. Um, they, and one thing they said with emphasis was like drinking and doing drugs can't, can exacerbate symptoms and it can trigger episodes and you probably shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And that, that part, I mean, if it's not clear already, that part wasn't something I accepted. Um, it was kind of just like, whatever, don't go there, you know? So, but I did take my pills. Um, they prescribed me, um, uh, mood stabilizer, an antidepressant and an antipsychotic, um, I'm still on the same antidepressant and mood stabilizers now. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so I left and I had a, I had a, I had a girlfriend at the time who, and like, we'll get to this, but the amazing part about that girlfriend is that she's my wife now. And the next 20 years of my life, like she has been there for particularly that decade where after I left the hospital, where things got worse and worse for 10 years, mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't be here without her. That's, that's, that's for sure. She's the only person that knew what was going on. That was close to me. Um, she came and saw me when I was in the hospital because she found out where I was from, um, from Mike, the counselor. And, you know, seeing her was, was really hard seeing her there, like having, yeah, I felt shame. I felt guilt that I wasn't there at work with the people that needed me. I felt shame that, I was not like this strong pillar of like whatever a boyfriend is supposed to be um, or a man or, or, or some, some idea in my head of what her boyfriend should be. And that that person wouldn't be someone that's in the mental hospital, you know? So when she came to see me, it was, it was really hard. Yeah. And it, going back to that first thought you had when you woke up in the psychiatric hospital, what if somebody finds out and here's somebody that you love that cares about you. Yeah. And then, so that had to have been um, extremely difficult. And I yeah, think it's wonderful yeah, it that she, she came, <laughs> she came to be there for you. I think that's, that's wonderful. Um, so y you've talked a lot about drinking. Tell me, uh, I want to get to the 10 drink rule here in a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just a little teaser. Um, so yeah. was it that, you kept drinking because it effectively took care of whatever was going on in your head, at least at the yeah. time that you were drinking. And, and that's, is that really what drew you to it? Or, or was it also, Hey, this is fun. I'm young, all this stuff, combination of both. And tell us kind of what, when you say you would go out drinking, like what that would be like. Um, 
I, I didn't stop drinking after the hospital. I, I, I might've had, okay, maybe I'll try to control it a little bit, but if I did, it didn't last long. Um, drinking made me feel better. Drinking was, it was, into, it was intoxicating in a way that uh, was unusual. I think I've said earlier, like it felt like it was the thing missing from my body. Like that, that's how I, that's how I think about alcohol still. Um, and I haven't touched it in 11, almost 12 years. Good for you. Um, so, yeah. So I would, I, we moved to the Bay area. Like I, I, we worked there for two years and that was the commitment we made to the program. We moved to the Bay area and, um, you know, I started working and I got a job. I started working in real estate. Um, and you know, just as an independent contractor and agent kind of scraping together, um, a few deals and, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, you hear my dog? He's yeah. going, what kind he's of dog going after have? it right now. Oh man. We have a, a rescue <laughs> dog. Um, who's a mutt that we rescued who's um he's been doing this barking at everything he sees for the past 15 years so that's uh <laughs> well it sounds like uh what is it the old dog new tricks it sounds like he's gonna keep barking then yeah. oh yeah no he's he's riding it out yeah. uh, so I, I apologize that's uh, all right he'll stop at some point um and yeah so i drank to feel better um and it got it got more and more reckless it got more and more dangerous and I, I didn't think of drinking as like whatever normal is. I don't want to say like a normal person, but like I didn't drink in a conventional way of like, okay, I'm going to have a few glasses of wine for dinner or I'm going to have, a, or I'm going to get a little tanked at the tailgate at the 49ers game. I, I only knew the act of drinking as getting unconscious to the point of uh, getting drunk to the point of unconsciousness, forgetting everything there, there wasn't, that was the old, that's what drinking was. It was getting that drunk every time. And that, that got to be like dozens of drinks. Like that might sound like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not at all. There was nights where I had it 30, 30 or more beers, which would probably kill me if I had those now, but I built up that amount of tolerance on a, on a regular basis. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And would your girlfriend or, or friends, would they be, did they just kind of accept this about you that, that, or were, were, were people kind of um, talking to you about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it get, when it started to get really bad, I started to get in fights and that's when it was really like showing itself in an outward expression. People really seeing like, oh, he doesn't just look like a little bit too drunk. Like Dave got arrested last night. Like I got arrested three times in this period. Um, and it was always for something, uh, always something violent, um, getting in a fight. I, I got in, I got into fights when I was in jail, um, because I got there and I was still so loaded. I wanted to keep fighting. Like I wasn't even scared or thrown off by the fact that I was in jail and I was like, let's, let's keep fighting. Mm. Um, I wasn't like a happy, silly drunk. That's the thing. Like I, I wasn't even happy. It just, um, it, it, I, I usually, you know, I usually got taken over by a, by a certain kind of rage at a certain, at, at some point, but that rage felt a lot better than, um, you know, the anxiety or the depression that I might be feeling otherwise. I think that's uh, extremely telling by the way, right. Yeah. To say that yeah. that state still felt better to you than your normal day to day. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It felt intoxicating. Um, and like 
so this went on and on like friends. Yeah. Like I, I, there's a lot of friends that just stopped being my friend. Um, and the, the friends that were still kind of connected to me, like they, they didn't really want to see me as much and they kept their distance, particularly if it was going to be like us going out. Um, but the ones that were still around, like, yeah, people started to talk to me. Um, let me know, like, dude, sooner or later, like something real bad is going to happen. Like, you're not, you know, you're, you're not going to keep bouncing back up on your feet, like a cat with nine lives. Like yeah. this is getting really, really bad. Um, and like, because I was getting other people in dangerous situations. Like on one of those nights I got arrested, my friend got arrested with me just for being with me and he didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, um, I started a fight and he was just there, you know? Um, and he had to spend the night in jail because of me. Um, I'm sure he wanted to keep his distance after that. Um, so eventually like the, the last night I ever drank, um, no one wanted to go out with me. I got loaded by myself. And at this point, my girlfriend had pretty much gotten to the point where she said, like, I, I love you. And I know who you are. And I met you when you were this, um, amazing uh, mentor to these kids and helped us run this camp and you helped so many kids. And I know that that's you in there somewhere, but I can't keep watching this up close. And I can't keep wondering if I'm going to get a phone call from jail or if you're not going to come home. And like, I, I, I need to step back. Um, and so she was on the verge of, I mean, she was on the verge of disappearing. And if she had, like, I know full well that I, I wouldn't be here now. Um, the last night I ever drank, I went out by myself. And at this point, I had really was, I felt like she was, she was on her way out and I was deteriorating. And at that point, you start to black out so easily when, when you're that, when you're drinking that much alcohol regularly, like your mind just shuts off very uh -huh. quickly. Like okay. your ability to remember things like really falls apart. And um, but, but, but to me, and maybe you can relate or a lot of people can like people say blacking out a lot, you know, like that's kind of a phrase, but you always kind of remember something like you remember like, oh yeah, but we, we got pizza at this place right. or like, mm -hmm. oh yeah. I remember like when that song came on and we danced or, oh yeah, I had a cigarette with an old friend. Like you remember a couple things and then you start to stitch the night together. Um, but this night I remember, um, the, the the last thing I remember was was being outside having a cigarette and I woke up the next morning uh, and I was in my apartment and I have blood all over me, like dried in my hair. I had bruises um, and a fat lump on my head um, and blood on my clothes. And I had not a shred of an idea how or why, which is which is crazy to, to sustain that much damage and have no yeah. idea how it happened. Um and sooner or later, I started wondering how I got home and find my keys. And I'm like, started to get petrified that I drove home in this state. So I started running around the neighborhood looking to see if my car is there. Because if my car is there, I drove home. If it's not, I left it somewhere on the other side of town. And I'm just praying that I can't find this fucking car. And I, I get, you know, two blocks, three blocks, four blocks. And sure enough, I see like the silver bumper as I'm going down whatever street. And my heart just sank. And I get to the car and there's, there's blood inside the car. There's blood on the, on, on the door. And again, I doesn't even ring a bell. I have no idea. 
how I got home, how I got hurt, any of it. And, um, dude, like that, that was the moment where if it, I don't know how it wasn't clear already, but that was the moment where I'm like, Oh, I'm not just going to kill myself. Like I'm going to destroy someone else's world like this. Like I'm going to fucking kill someone and I'm going to really hurt someone. And it's not just about me. And, and I had that thought and I, I ran home and cause I still don't even know. I'm like, did I hit and run? Did I, what did I do? Like, who? I think this is my blood. And so I'm online. Fucking, I went to the SFPD website and I'm like, was there any, uh, was there any reported hit and runs? Like, is there anything that's happened that I might be tied to? And I eventually kind of figure out, okay, probably not. Um, and, but like that feeling at that point was etched into me permanently. And I knew, I knew that this was only going to end one way. Like I'm going to stop this or I'm going to die and take someone with me. And I, I, maybe I'll crash into a brick wall or maybe I'll just wilt away if I keep doing this for a few more years, but sooner or later I'm going to die. And that was clear. And so a couple of days later, like I, you know, I, I beg my girlfriend, like help me stay with me. I'm, I'm going to work through this with you for you, for myself. Um, we found, she found a chemical dependency recovery program and took me there like a day or two after this night. And I met a counselor there on my first appointment. And I kind of told her like, and like, I've still got like a black eye and I look like shit. And I told her what the last few years had looked like. And she, I didn't even know her. And she looked at me straight up and she was like, you are not going to survive. I know that I'm telling you that straight up, you're not going to survive and you need to, you need to give yourself 30 days. And I'm not saying you can never drink. I'm not saying anything. I just know that you need to give yourself 30 days and that's all there is to it. And I mean, if she had said that a few months ago, or she, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have listened, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but she said, you need to give yourself 30 days. And, and I believed when she said it, that I believed her like, I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the writing on the wall here yeah. and, and the look in her eyes when she said it, I'm like, th this is legit. And, um, but I just, I still didn't think I could do it by myself. So what I did before I thought about it too long, within like 24 hours, um, I thought to myself, like, I have let myself down so many times because, oh, 10 drink rule, like along the way in all this, like, it's not like I never thought oh, I need to slow down or I need to stop. I need to moderate. It's not like the thought hadn't crossed my mind. And I tried many times. And like, at one point I was like, okay, first step is a 10 drink rule. Like if I don't have more than 10 drinks, I'm probably not going to completely lose my shit. Yeah. You know, and 10 drinks is a crazy amount. Like that's at the time, that's, that's a lot of drinks. And at the time that would have been a mild amount for me. And I was like, okay, I get this 10 drink rule in place. And I'll get very drunk, but I, I probably won't end up in jail or won't end up in a really bad situation. And, you know, I mean, as you can imagine, like I didn't last very long when you get to 10, you know, it's, I um, just don't understand how you have <laughs> the willpower at 10 with all, you know what I mean? Like how, how do you yeah. stop? But it, it worked for a few months. I, I remember the period where like there was this slight uptick in how I was doing. I was drinking a little bit less drinking seven, eight, nine drinks. And like, 
the feedback I got was really good. I remember going to birthday parties and dinners and having people feel like, hey, you know what? Like, thanks for keeping your shit together and not ruining my birthday party. Because I ruined a lot of my friends' birthday parties or get-togethers. Um, and I got some positive feedback there. And um, But yeah, it, 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 I didn't sustain it. So what I did after my first day uh, at the Chemical Dependency Report Program, um, I wrote an email to like everyone I knew. And I told, you know, if I, if I had you on my phone or my contact book, I'd put you on this email. Um, and I told everyone what had happened the most recently. Like I woke up on Sunday morning. I, was, got, I had blood all over me. Um, I, I know I have a major problem. And, um, and I'm sorry for all the situations I put you in. But um, I, I need to spend some time without any alcohol in my body. And I'm going to do it. And I'm asking for your support or your help. Um, in any way that you can to take a walk with me, to go to a movie with me, anything to, to help me get pulled away from a, a bar or whatever. Um, Cause I had, I, my thought was, and this is a big takeaway maybe for someone, but like my thought was I've let myself down hundreds of times, but I don't think I'm going to let down all these people. Mm. I'm going to make a bond with my girlfriend and my friends and everyone I knew. And I don't think I'm going to break that. I'll let myself down if I if I if I make this little promise to myself, I'll be drinking by by Wednesday and manage to forget how bad everything has been. But if I promise girlfriend, my buddies, my, my sisters, I don't think I'm going to break that promise. Yeah. Um, and and how and, telling yeah. is it too that you've gone from waking up and the first thought being, "What if somebody finds out?" to you being proactive and saying, yeah. "I have this problem." I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, it was hard. I mean, hitting send on that email was, was crazy. Like that was a really hard thing to do because you can't take that back. Right? I knew I couldn't let everyone down. That was my last shot. And I'm like, this is the only way I'm going to make this happen is if I make, if I get up and I shout this from the mountaintop that I'm going to do this and I, and I make a real commitment to other people. And that was 12 years ago. Yeah. That was the last time I had a drink. And that's, um, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, it really is. Yeah. And uh, we, I know we, we compacted a lot of, a lot of time and like uh, of your life in like the last 10 or so minutes, yeah. <laughs> which does not take away how difficult that must have been. Not just how difficult it was to uh, stop and continue not to drink, but how difficult you, it must have felt that morning when you woke up with the blood and you were looking around. I mean, just, but something that you said to me, uh, when we spoke before as you went into this rebuilding uh, what we'll call a rebuilding phase of your life, I guess um, mm -hmm. is how you wanted to make bipolar or, or these things. Okay. They're not going away. So let's make them, let's look at them as a superpower. Tell us a little bit about, about your feelings yeah. on that. So within a few months, like I, I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't stop. I stopped to save my life and to save my relationship with my girlfriend. That, that was the impetus. Um, but all of a sudden, like within a few months, I started to realize like, okay, I'm feeling better. Mm -hmm. That's, that's affirming. And then I started to realize like, okay, I'm actually like doing okay at work. And that gave me like a green light. And I got a little bit addicted to that feeling of success. Mm -hmm. And I started to get back in shape and my body was looking and feeling better. Um, and 
I, I started to feel like, whoa, okay. Um, I need to take care of bipolar. Like I I've just been trying to bury this thing and I've been taking my pills. Like I always took my pills, but I haven't treated this in any way. So I started to, um, uh, I started to actually go to my psychiatry appointments and then they connected me with a therapist. So I started getting therapy. Um, and like, just from those, just from stopping the self-medication and from caring for myself, just within the basic steps I should have been doing all along, um, it was like the handcuffs had come off me. And all of a sudden, like my relationship with my girlfriend, it, it, it brought it back to life. It was like we met again for the first time. And because I'm because I'm not splitting my loyalty with alcohol, I, right. I'm like loving her with, with my whole heart, not waiting for her to go to bed so I can drink. And then like, I'm not coming into work, just obliterated, hungover, unable to function. I'm like, I, I'm rested. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing like, oh, I'm like pretty good at my job, and I'm getting some deals done. And that it was like, without even trying, like the chains just came off me and just my natural normal aptitude, ability, creativity, whatever, all the stuff that I had in me, it just like was able to flourish. And, uh, and that's when I realized like, whoa, this is real evidence. This is real data that if I take care of myself, like I'm going to get a lot of positive results and positive affirmation. Um, and that just continued and continued. Um, and I got better and better and better at it. And this wasn't overnight at all. Well, like, of course this took not. a long yeah. time. Um, and I still, I was not open about bipolar at all during this. I still was like, I was open with myself about it. Um, and I was trying to do better at taking care of it, but I still wasn't telling people. Um, that that didn't happen until like much, much later, within really in the last like the last three or four years oh, is wow. when I said, okay, like. I'm not going to keep this as a, as a secret mm -hmm. for, for two reasons. One, I'm going to be my best self if I'm vulnerable, blah, vulnerable about everything that I am. And I'm just, I'm raw and I'm open about who I am to myself. And the way for me to do that is to understand that like bipolar is not going away. Um, I need to start thinking about it as not just a part of me as like this ball and chain I'm lugging around, but like, this is what I got. And like, maybe it's a blessing in some ways. Like maybe it's a blessing because I've gotten to a point where I can use it to help people who are like in the same spot I was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 12 years ago. And they can see like, okay, there's a pathway out of this. And then I started to see it as a strength for me. Like I, I do a very good job taking care of myself. I have, I get therapy regularly. Um, I, I take a, a heavy, heavy, heavy dose of mood stabilizer, but I still feel like a lot of swings yeah. in my mood. And I try to look at them. I, I do. I really react drastically to things and a bad day to me. It feels, it still does feel catastrophic, but I try to see that as like, okay, the same intensity that I react negatively to things with, like I have that same intensity when I want to apply it to something. And I started to see, my mood swings as like maybe there are certain kind of vigilance or maybe there are certain kind of strength that I can use. And if I'm feeling um, extremely down, like, okay, I'm going to use that same amount of energy and intensity to be vigilant about solving the problem, whatever it is. And 
I, I started to recognize like, okay, I, I can use that to care so much more about what I'm doing. And right. that's a little yeah. bit of me trying to, you know, make lemonade a little bit, but I, I think it's real. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of, um, erratic energy in me at times. And yeah. if I figure out like, okay, how I can use that to attack a problem or build my business, um, that's, uh, that's going to be for the good. And like about two or three years. So like back, so the handcuffs coming off, I don't yeah, want to stop for a part. second. I, I want to point yeah. that out because I'd never heard it said that way. You, you, mm-hmm. you re- mer- uh, mentioned is removing the handcuffs. Uh, imagine trying to do stuff with hands behind your back. And that's how you yeah. kind of looked at the alcoholism, right? Is, is yes. that it was stopping you from your full potential. And I just think yeah. that's a really good way to put it. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, 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 no worries. Um, sorry for, for no, talking good. a lot, but uh, yeah, I got to pa- try to pack it all in for you. So there's like <laughs> a certain point two years in when I'm, I'm feeling like, okay, work is going really well. My relationship with my wife is like back on track. We went from like on the verge of just being completely done to her coming back. And then two years later, we got married. Like yeah. that person who, this is the person that, saw me in a psychiatric hospital when I was 22 or whatever, and had watched me spiral into the, the shittiest work, worst places below rock bottom. And we got married because she, because she's a fucking angel is why, but she stuck with me and, um, um, uh, didn't give up on me. Um, and then at the same time, like work is kind of going in the same direction. And I have this idea, like, you know what, like I'm on, I'm on a roll now. Um, maybe I can start my own business Mm. and I didn't know shit about it. And, um, I didn't really have much of a clue about what that really meant, but I had this idea and it was a spark and I was young enough to have enough (laughs) energy to do it. And I had, um, I hadn't saved a lot. I had burned through most of my money, but I had just done like one big, um, like real estate transaction and I had a big commission check and I was like, I'm going to use this and I'm going to start an office and I'm going to start a company. So I did, I got like a sublet in, in a, a room, um, got a computer, just got myself set up. And like, that was, um, it was about 10 years ago and I started chipping away at it. Like I, then I got a part-time employee, then I got an assistant, then I got, um, a couple more people started with one client then I had two mm-hmm. and I was just, I was hustling, I was grinding and I had so much energy and zeal for and just appreciation and gratitude for life that like, I wanted to get after it, like whatever I was doing, I wanted to absolutely work at it. And now we got like 50 people at the company and, um, you say we 50? are five zero. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for you, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, and, and like, I have an amazing group of people that have helped make that happen to be sure. But, um, yeah, we, um, we do, we invest in real estate. We manage a lot of real estate. We do, um, Trend, like leasing office and retail um, transactions, um, kind of a vertically integrated shop. And that, and that did not happen overnight by any means. That was just like grinding away a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the takeaway for me in that, and that's like why, like, that's why we're here talking is because I realized at a certain point, like, I don't want to be the only one that has this and and I'm not, but I I want more people to have this experience of rebounding from what I've rebounded from. And I want more, like whether it's starting a business or um, 
whatever your whatever your potential is, if you're struggling with mental health or you're struggling with addiction, there is a pathway out of it. And that what anything that you imagine is possible really is. Even on those days where I I never believed I could start a business. I, I I was starting to believe if I could like go on with my life. And in the big picture, that wasn't that long ago. Um, but there is a pathway out of it. And like it starts with it starts with it understanding that you have a problem. It starts with getting rid of that stigma that's in front of you that's preventing you from talking about it. Cause if you're not like vulnerable about having a mental illness or an addiction. Cause we, cause we want to bury these things. That's just yeah. what we do in our, in our culture. We want to go on. Like we want to drink every night and just pretend everything's fine. We want to like, uh, we, we want to keep this depression a secret. We want to keep bipolar a secret because we don't want to feel, have people thinking we're weak or whatever that notion is. But if, if we can get rid of that and kind of blast through that all of a sudden, like, anything is possible and just imagine why why go through life tamping yourself down and suppressing your own ability to be at your absolute best and like i got to that point of understanding what i had really done um and what i'd accomplished like a few years ago and that's when i started to i i wrote a, i have a book that i'm gonna publish next year um that's amazing it's really, by the way that's fucking yeah, amazing and it just, it tells this story for, it's not for myself to, you know, it's not a bear all thing. It's, it's for someone who is in that same spot. I mentioned, you know, 75% of people manifesting symptoms of mental illness in the early twenties It's for someone in that same spot, um, maybe picking it up and maybe it helps them change their course a little bit or see something like, oh, okay that's exactly what I'm feeling right now is what this dude was feeling. Mm -hmm. And now this dude's in a position where he worked through that. So it must be possible. Like that's, that's what I want more people to feel through, through talking, uh, through hearing shows like yours um, and everyone else who's working in advocacy for mental health. Um, I want people to, to not see it as something that's got a stigma attached to it that they can't work through. Man, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And when you get that book published, you've got to let me know. We will promote it on this show for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. We'll be Appreciate happy that. to. And, you know, David, all the things that you've shared, you, you've used the word vulnerability a number of times today. You've been mm -hmm. very vulnerable mm -hmm. about some very, very difficult things. Um, you've been very honest. And I think it's a really extremely inspiring story uh and, and something that i even when we when we spoke before i i had a lot of takeaways from it too i thought about what are the handcuffs that i'm putting on myself um mm -hmm. things of that nature that really stuck with me so you know as we're wrapping up um i just want to commend you for all the work that you've done because you're right it takes Appreciate a shit it. ton of work um mm -hmm. i want to commend your dog for always being on the lookout oh yeah yeah He's ready to go. <laughs> and um I want to thank you for telling your story. Is, is there anything maybe that we did not get to touch on as we're wrapping up that maybe you would like to share before we close the proceedings as it were? Yeah. Maybe a thing or two, if there's like a, a kind of way to, you know, to punch one thing home, I, I would probably just like, this is something I say to myself every day. Like, cause I, yeah, like things are going a lot better now and some things are going great, but like it is absolutely and always will be like a work in progress. I, I do not wake up every day feeling like, oh man, I solved all my problems and now I'm kicking ass. Like that's not, 
that's not how I feel. I feel every day that I have to keep um, pushing forward. And like, that's, if you chip, if you, if you approach your life that way and you chip away at your obstacles a little bit every day, like 20 years later, something can happen. And that means like, take drinking, for example, like if you had, if that therapist or counselor had said, okay, you got to be sober for 10 years. No fucking way. Yeah. But if, if I say, okay, maybe I can make it till tomorrow and then maybe I can make it another day. Maybe I can make it the day after that. Then all of a sudden, if you do that for 10 years, then you get to look back and be like, oh, shit, look how my life is now. And so I think the way I would sum that up is like every day, like you, you don't have the choice of what obstacles are in front of you. And you don't have the choice to snap your fingers and have all your challenges disappear. But you do have the choice to be courageous every day in, 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 in the face of them, whatever they are. And so I just try to wake up every day and say, okay, these are my goals. These are my challenges. I'm not going to snap my fingers and have the biggest business ever or completely cure mental illness. But what are the things that I can do today that are hard, that are challenging, that are going to help me chip away at those goals over the long term? That's, again, uh, couldn't have said it better myself. I, I, I think that's right. It's it's little by little. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. 100% sure. Um David, thank you so much, man. I really, really thank appreciate you. your time. I appreciate um, you agreeing to come on the show. Uh, just an amazing and, and inspiring story. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, of course. And uh, to everybody else out there, I'll, I'll finish the episode the same way I do or try to do every time. With a reminder, very much a lot of what David was talking about there, with that there is always room for kindness and grace. You know, even within ourselves, and that might be the most important, um, there is always room for kindness and grace, no matter the obstacle, no matter the situation. And uh, we will see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.